Time for us to say good morning to our guests and uh, good morning, first of all, to Enzio von File, a capital preservation specialist. Uh, how are you, uh, Enzio? Doing very well. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm good, thanks. And also we, we say good morning and welcome to Hao Zhu, uh, Chief Economist at GTJAI. Good morning, Hao. Hi, good morning, Jim. How are you doing? I'm doing good. And uh, I guess uh, let's get a bit of reaction, first of all, to that expected rate rise. Perhaps nothing surprising, NZO, uh, in Jerome Powell's uh, announcement. Uh, what do you think? I just think it's, we have to make it up as we go along going forward. The, what he said was that the, the, the big difference is that they've changed the word will. They will keep changing rates, raising rates where necessary to whether they will raise future rates. So will gets replaced by weather. Mm. That's important because the key consumption, the, the key price index is actually, this is a bit of a mouthful, the core personal consumption expenditure price index. What I'm trying to tell our listeners is that it's not just the CPI that they need to keep an eye out for, but for this other thing, this, this big mouthful. And that's actually still at a, at a near record high a 4.6% year on year. So that's still very strong. And I think that I'm not, so I don't think anybody in their right minds can say with certainty this is the beginning of the pause that refreshes, because if you get more El Nino coming through with more, the, the, the weather pattern, with more food price rises, with more labor price rises, oil, or not, uh, rare earth price rises, then you could find this big mouthful inflation, this core personal consumption expenditure thing rising even more. And that's then not going to be good for rates. So is it a case of, uh, you know, the Fed is climbing uh, the ladder six rungs and then falling back five? Are they, are they making progress, Enzio, would you say? I think they are in trying to be a little bit more consistent in what they have been saying. It's not the flip-flop that we've had in previous cycles. Remember that Paul Volcker way back when decided to actually cut rates, and then he had to raise, then he had to go back to raising rates back in it's sort of when when we had this massive stagnation last time around. So I think that we what we're seeing now is private sector the cut in private sector credit, the cut in the Fed balance sheet, and the strong dollar thanks to the drones over um, the Kremlin. I think those are things that will push inflation down, but then you have these supply side factors pushing it up. So I'm sorry to say on the one hand, the other hand, I'm just saying it's, it's, we make it up as we go along. How, what is your reaction to the interest rate rise? Well, I think, you know, uh, for me is that, you know, it looks like the Fed has uh, probably has already stopped the, or entered the ending point of the rate hike process. But actually, I think the more important thing is that uh, given outflow of the deposit uh, from the China, from the regional banks, as well as that, you know, uh, basically uh, uh, we are seeing that, uh, you know, uh, the, the, a lot of money goes to the money market funds. I think, you know, for the China, for the United States, for American banks, the problem is that, you know, the liability cost or the cost of deposit uh, is likely uh, to be uh, raised significantly over the past, over the next uh, two or three quarters. So probably that will create a very interesting phenomenon that, you know, the Fed has uh, paused, uh, but, you know, the rate hike has been uh, kind of uh, going through uh, from the policy side uh, to the commercial side. I think that will uh, somehow, you know, reduce 
uh, uh, bring down the economic growth for the next next couple of quarters in the United States. So, uh, given that it looks like the inflation is still very sticky, uh, so uh, so-called stagnation is probably the case uh, in the United, United States economy uh, in the in this year and uh, next year uh, before the Fed, you know, started starts to cut interest rates. Uh, and uh, the CPI or the inflation right. started to come down. I think it takes some time to see that. Uh, in we heard that uh, in after hours trading, uh, the regional bank PacWest plummeted around sixty percent as uh, they uh, teetering California lender became the latest U.S. mid-sized bank to seek a financial lifeline. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Is that uh, you know pushing that back, banking sector uh, further? Are we going to see some uh, more contagion there? Well, I think it looks like, you know, the market is get used to this kind of takeover, uh, game, which is that, you know, some small banks has been, you know, has been, uh, in a trouble and then a big bank will step out to take over. Uh, so it looks like a back and forth stuff still, still the case for now. And, uh, you know, we saw a lot of kind of, uh, uh so-called you know, headlines news, uh, from the media, but at least there's no, there's no significant systematic risk for now. Uh, so uh, I think you know uh, we are we are in a kind of uh, uh, jungle to some extent because you know the hedge funds look for different kind of uh, uh, you know target to shot, uh, but uh, you know policymakers try or the regulators try to make sure that you know the system can still can be running, and uh, I think you know that's the game for now. And uh, overall speaking, I don't think there is big kind of systematic systematic risk, you know, in, in a financial system, uh, but. Uh, in the meantime, uh, the headlines still, you know, come out, you know, uh, quite often. Uh, and, uh, I think that will be the case, you know, for the future. Enzio, further to what you've said, you know, what yes. what do you think the the effects on the banking sector could be uh, on the U.S. at large? I think quite large. Um, I would respectfully differ with how. I would all get to have different views. Mine is that it's the correspondent banking relationships in America that are not being talked about. In other words, where a large bank lends to a small bank, lends to a large bank, lends to a small bank, this constant ping-pong game of hot potato, basically. And as my mother-in-law always taught me, when the interest rates are low, the rich, the wrong people get rich. Well, this time around, it was the regional banks that were getting rich, and they were not supervised because of Mr. Trump knocking out a lot of supervision for the small guys. So the small guys got to play as much as they wanted. And now now the chickens are coming home to roost, not only in the bank that you mentioned, but also a number of others. So I'm afraid there's going to be with an increasing U.S. recession, particularly in the freight sector, less less movements within the U.S. economy of freight and goods because the consumer is beginning to slow down. I'm afraid that there will be a recession that hits, especially the small and medium un regulated banks your mother-in-law sounds like a font of knowledge Enzio um, if only we could have her on the show as well she counted 109 she said she couldn't do it today sorry <laughs> <laughs> another time uh, turning to um, US China trade and US and uh, in fact uh, China uh, Asia trade uh, how you you've been looking at this area quite a bit over the last few weeks what, what are your thoughts are are you know, there's still big trade imbalances. Where do you see China's role going forward? Well, you know, if you look at these days about, you know, all the kind of uh, bilateral or trade settlement uh, between China and the Middle East country, between China and a lot of kind of uh, 
you know, brick, uh, you know, uh, the commodity uh, kind of exporters. Looks like China tried to, you know, uh, create a new channel, which is that uh, given the U.S. the pressure from the U.S., given a sanction from the U.S., uh, China tried to get out or get through this kind of uh, uh, so-called. Uh, but, you know, the, the fundamental view is clear. Uh, the China-U.S. tensions will be there for long. So uh, China accepts that. The U.S., you know, continue to push hard uh, to, to make sure that China will not rise uh, in the future. So basically, in this case, I think, you know, uh, China will try to uh, build up more kind of trade relations uh, with Russia, ASEAN, uh, and as well as commodity guys. Uh, in the meantime, you know, uh, maybe the uh, U.S. will try to strengthen uh, the so-called the GAN uh, with uh, South Korea, Japan. Uh, so I think, you know, in this case, uh, uh, the most important thing for China is not only to to bring in more kind of partners, but the most important thing is that China needs the kind of uh, technology, you know, the so-called high technology, uh, to make sure that the productivity or the economy can still be running on a relatively efficient way. I think that will be the challenge for China. But of course, the United States or U.S. will try to make sure that, you know, China can't, you know, get through, you know, tech, tech, on the technology side. So I think that will be the theme uh, in the next couple of years or even decades. Enzi, what do you what do you see as the uh, the future for uh, China's growth? What's the outlook there, and and you know how does Hong Kong plug into that? Well, okay, let's just start with Hong Kong very briefly. I'm afraid we're st- we're slithering into what I call dirigist capitalism, which goes to say that we have some people here who seem to think that they know better than than the market what the market wants. So we have, for instance, our financial chief saying that the Hong Kong government was taking a, lo- a moderately liberal fiscal stance this year and get, by releasing 5,000 consumption vouchers. And then he has his happy Hong Kong. In other words, trying to incentivize growth here. That's not how Hong Kong has worked in the past. That's certainly not what my ex-professor von Hayek taught back in, in Freiburg in Germany, that you have to let the market decide what goes. So I'm not really very keen on this disease capitalism, which I see creeping in. On China, I'm actually quite reasonably optimistic on the place. I think that it's been an overgrown story. I think an overdone story. It is not Lazarus. It did not in January rise from the dead. Its economic time is an excess supply of money and an excess supply of goods. In other words, it's way at the bottom of its cycle. Um, We'll have to see, frankly, how well they can work their way out of this, again, using their own way of running the economy. I'm afraid that the Americans, with their with their visceral hatred of China, when I was on Capitol Hill, I was taught that China is for free. They're all communists anyway, so let's go and beat up on them, says the senator from Eugene, Oregon, where I tried to grow up. Um, that, the, that that hatred is visceral, that will remain. So that's going to be an impediment to Chinese growth. But as Hal says, just in closing, China is, of course, being wise, diversifying its supply chains to other nations in the world. Mm. And I think it will end up just fine. NG Von File is Capital Preservation Specialist and uh, also joining us today, how is you, uh, Chief Economist at GTJAI. And whichever